one of you confirm the number for me? 65. 65. I, just rem- I just remember because it's just like one added from last time, which is one before mm, that. Mm, it's mm. just quick maths. Mm, mm. Great. All right. You know how it is? <laughs> You're a tool. You're a tool. You just can't count. This is when you cue the music, Harry. So let's be a little bit energetic and good evening, guys. Welcome to episode number 65 of the Racing Line podcast. Um, still in our, well, it's not pre-season anymore because we've got a bit of racing and we've got the Bathurst 12-hour coming up this weekend as well. Um, and we're going to get into the world of sports car a little bit later on just based on the races that have just taken place and the races that are taking place moving forward. But being a, a Formula One podcast um, and it being the off-season and the anticipation for um, Drive to Survive kind of starting to amp up um, for the general population, for the general Formula One fan, I wanted to be a little bit optimistic in 2023. Last year, I was thinking a little bit last week, actually, I kind of thought I gave a lot of hate to Formula One based on the optics, based on the um, issues or potential issues with DRS, based on the formula not working as much as we thought it would, based on the track. So there was a lot of negative rhetoric that came out of the podcast about Formula One. And I was thinking, and this might be a title for the podcast, is the issue us and not so much Formula One. Elaborate. Oh, by the way, the whole team's back for the first time in ages. Yeah, which well, is good. That is, that's true. But that's something that, that is reason to celebrate. So, welcome back to Joseph and Harry joining me on the pod for the first time in about three months, <laughs> four months. It is exactly four months because my little boy's four months today. Um, but let it's me elaborate. Got, on my... It's about time you got your priorities straight. Pardon. <laughs> It's about time you got your priorities straight. Literally just went to bed. He almost made me late tonight. Um, but let me elaborate on on this idea that I that I had before, and it's this: the modern sports fan, whether it be a basketball fan, a football fan, kind of someone under the age of let's use twenty five, is more interested in people than teams. I think, and I think there's a case to be made for people being more interested in Steph Curry and LeBron James and Tom Brady than they are in the teams that they follow. And they will change teams with these sportsmen that they follow. Now, you might be saying, what does it have to do with Formula One? Let me bring it back to Formula One. As older fans, people that have evolved with the sport over the last 20 to 25 years, We are, well, I'm talking personally for myself as well. I'm very much a motorsport enthusiast more than I have any interest in singular drivers. Hence the probably the negative connotation towards Ricardo in the past, even though he's an Australian fan. Do you you call Shannons because you're an enthusiast? (laughs) But with these younger fans and the new breed of Formula One fan who has been engaged in the sport purely through Drive to Survive... Um, 
they might not be so interested in how passes take place. They might not be so interested in um, classic tracks. They might not be so interested in bigger braking zones so that we have more authentic manoeuvres. They might purely be interested in Formula 1 because it looks cool. They might have played Mario Kart growing up where you've got all these different bits and bobs where you can go faster than the person. You've got all these little um, strategies that take place, advantages in the in, in the race that kind of give you your boost, et cetera. How would they, it would be if they started throwing banana peels at the Mate, it would, at it would the definitely cars. It would definitely change, change the formula, I'll give you that. <laughs> but just to finish, is Formula 1 fine for the for the new fan that's obviously that it is bringing in because the price of formula one and we'll get this into this a little bit later on as well has skyrocketed based on how much people are willing to spend on it now based on the consumer base based on the amount of eyes watching the sport and is it us the older fan the more traditional fan that kind of needs to look at formula one with new eyes and see the success that it is now that was a very long-winded introduction but I think it gives us something to discuss. You like the Jordan, you like the Jordan Peterson of motorsport podcasts, man. You just delve so deep right there. I um, want to hear your opinions on that. Idea. I think, I think your your point has got some um, legs to stand on. Uh, I think more than anything, when anyone grows attached to a team, a, a player, uh, a motorsport driver, uh, realistically, your brain is sort of just has to attach to a story. It usually just attaches to a story or a feeling like initially and you sort of gravitate to that. So I think really like what Drive to Survive probably does very well is it puts the characters that play on a weekend in a story. And depending on who whose uh, sort of charisma or character you gravitate to, whether you like the super happy jovial guy, you like the more stoic kind of person, you just like a team's colours, and you like oh, you might like end up liking Gunter Steiner, and then you sort of build an attachment to Haas. So, however, sort of that cookie crumbles. I think what that allows it allows a, a person to build a emotional connection with a team or a driver, either or. I just don't think that what um, drive to survive has after that is, is unless you just want to use it as sort of entertainment to watch it once a year, like you watch stranger things and say, Oh, what happened this year? Like a, uh, a yearly sort of binge. If you actually take this, the sort of deep dive into then following the sport, number one, I don't think drive to survive stacks up to sometimes how good a championship can be. Number two, you then sort of see where it was fictitious or where the bullshit starts and where it stops. And then also after a certain amount of, I don't know how many years, I think you either have to make a, a connection with the sport or it just it's going to be superficial. So well, well, unless so- you want that superficial fan or, the, or unless the fan wants to just have a very base level connection. Well, let me throw this to you then, H. Gross in there. Let me throw this to you then, H. So Joseph's kind of just said that there needs to be a connection that's fostered and built, starting maybe with Drive to Survive and then moving into the sport. But if you just have a casual fan who purely engages with Formula One once a year in February to watch the season of Drive to Survive, 
is is it still doing its job? And an argument can be made that yes, it is because it's still getting eyeballs on the sport. And is that maybe the more effective way for a casual fan to engage with the sport? Well, yes, I think that is Formula One's plan because as we've seen, Miami, Vegas, and Coda, like we know that they've wanted to infiltrate America for years. They're all sold out and the ticket prices are astronomical and they're still sold out. To your point though, I did see a, a, a video the other day. Um, some some person did a poll this time last year about um, who everyone's favourite team was and McLaren was up here. Um, and after the year that they had, I don't know whether it's Danny Rick or the optics of the whole situation, but McLaren, they did the same poll and McLaren's um, popularity had gone down. I can't remember the exact number, but it, they think they went from the top team to like the third favorite team on this poll. So I don't know if it is Danny Rick and people have a connection to Danny Rick because of Drive to Survive because the first few seasons he was the big, the big draw card for Drive to Survive. Um, but I do think that people are attaching themselves to drivers at the moment rather than teams because you've got someone who... We grew up loving cars, you know, McLaren, McLaren. You love Williams, Joey. Like we've we've had our teams since we were young. These guys don't care. They're following Max. They're following Lewis. They're following DR. They're Lando. Lando's popular as. So I think where does the sport go if Drive to Survive wanes, the popularity wanes, and these drivers start to tail off like, like DR, who's not in the sport this year? Well, where does it go? It's a very interesting thought. And the other thing is, I mean, I think it's fairly easy to say that um, humans enjoy watching trashy TV or uh, not trashy, but like drama-filled TV shows and things like that. So I I think from like a drive to survive point of view, even if they have to manipulate the story to make it more engaging, I guess that makes sense. And for the untrained eye, it, it doesn't, it probably looks just as seamless. And in the past, we kind of said, well, once people start watching the racing, they're going to realize that it's not like it is in Drive to Survive. My thought is, you know, kind of just thinking about like my sisters, right? My sisters have always been somewhat interested in sport by default because they've got six brothers that are avid sports fans regardless of what it is if it's rugby league if it's soccer if it's formula one like they have to they will understand and pick up something purely based on it being around them so much with drive to survive like for all three of them the ability to make connections regardless of how you know fictitious they might be with you know their their loves charles leclerc and carlos science and <laughs> Who does Elizabeth like? Joseph, what's his name? I saw Orlando, one of my sis- a Lando guy. I, I saw one like, of my sis- I saw one of my sisters put a picture on Instagram yesterday, wearing some t-shirt. A DR t-shirt. Tagged, it was a DR t-shirt in some restaurant, and she tagged Danny Rick. And I just thought, and I thought, wow, that's um, that's uh, like what. I, I want to know what the plan is here, but like, is that is that high hopes or what? That, well, that, let's, let's, let's merge Harry. His because, merch is insane. Yeah, you're like, think about Michaela as well. Like, mm. no interest in the sport except for DR. Pretty much. Um, yeah. When he was 
Oh, back end of Red Bull, she started getting. I think it was Drive to Survive as well. But, um, yeah. but back end of Red Bull, kind of start of Renault. Um, yeah, she's got a few t-shirts of Danny Rick. Um, loves his merch. I've got a couple of shirts as well, but yeah, doesn't really care for any of the other drivers. Only Dr. So the question has to be asked then. Oh, caveat: she has zero interest in cars. So it's mm. purely DR. Mm. Aesthetics, is it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. I can see why you've grown out your curly hair. <laughs> just to just to give you a fighting chance, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. So then do we have it wrong? This is a question. Do we have it wrong? Are we so invested in the micro, which is the racing? The optics, but maybe not so much. Like I say optics and I'm thinking of the racing and how engaging it is and the overtakes and stuff like that. But is the optics for us kind of the wrong thing to be taking from it? Is Formula One more than just racing? Is it a lifestyle now? I think is it a I, pop I culture think- reference that, and, and when we kind of think about the spot, we've got to think of it more in more no, I think, as I think, opposed to I just think, racing. I think you're going way too far right now. Like, realistically the easiest way you can you can sort of uh draw it back to something that you can understand is there are different levels of fandom there are different levels of you know many things in life we might we are sort we are sort of like the alcoholic um <laughs> motorsport fans we are the alcoholic that's a nice we're, way of saying we're the alcoholics and then and and, the, and there might be sort of binge do you want to elaborate Saturday on drink? that statement and explain yeah. what you mean so like we we are always waiting like we live in wait for the next race. When one race finishes, the, the only the thing that comes next is the next race. When's the next race? Except when once can you get like, to race 18 out of a 24 yeah, race season, yeah, then you're like, like, geez, it's like, becoming a while you're, while you're having fun, you're like, when's the next race? And then that race finishes, all right, when's the next race? When can I get my fix again? So we're, we're like, we're like the alcoholics. We can't stop. But then you might have your, your sort of um, binge drinkers who sort of, follow it on and off you can have your um just have, your a, social big, drinkers. have a big night every have, now and then yeah you have your social of- yeah you have mm. your social drinkers they just do it in a social circle but it doesn't really affect their life at all other than you know when they're talking in circles there's different levels to this i mean realistically formula one only all that it's sort of building is it's building a tier of different types of fandom where they can connect with different people it's all right having your your you know your hardcore fans that's fine but Formula One has has made a really good step compared to other motorsports now, where they have social fans. You might just be a fan who engages on social media, you know. But still, knowing what it is, buying a Danny Rick shirt is an extra person who bought a Danny Rick shirt that didn't have one last week. You're still sort of spreading the the roots of the sport. Not all roots, you know. What are they called? Tap roots. You have some little roots as well. Like- I just think we have. Look at okay. look at Melbourne. Sorry, can I just stop for a second before yeah. you go any further, Harry? I know yeah. I, I knew what he meant. Do we have a gardener, a horticultural, <laughs> horticulturalist in our midst. This guy do. is drawing connections between Formula One and tap roots. What an analogy, Joe! You never cease to amaze me with where your analogies go because I never they make to amaze perfect sense. <laughs> they make perfect sense, but they are so far removed from the situation that one has to wonder what neural connections and pathways you have in your brain to take you from A to B. Sorry, keep going, Harry. 
Um, I was just going to say, look at Melbourne. Before before the pandemic, Melbourne was never really a sellout. I, I went last year and it was mayhem. Like, I, yeah, on the Saturday to watch qualifying at 5 o'clock, I had to get there when the gates opened at 10 to get a decent vantage point because I was general admission. That's never happened before. But what I want to, um, I, I, I am interested to see if that was a, a, a you know, a sort of a lack there of kind of phenomenon. Well, it was sold out even faster years. this year, mate. So sold out so quick this year. Yeah, it's true. So I, 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 16 minutes. I think that, um, I think that Formula One is becoming sort of like, has, is getting that sort of same vibe as like going to the races nearly, you know, like it's, mm. you know, it's, it's, like it's a cultural. It's a, Thing yeah, that- it's a it's a it's a thing to do rather than you know only for people who want to smell fumes and get you know and and try and get a <laughs> you hat don't really sign. have think- to be interested in it all the time there is, to go and dude, enjoy is, the races. There is so much stuff you can do there. You don't even have to watch a race and you'll be entertained. But like realistically, it's actually quite hard like to lakes. watch the race live. Mm. It is. It is. It's easier to watch the you know the dirt bike flips and you yeah. know watch the ducks on the pond if you want to have a nice romantic lunch. Um, so just bringing it back to how, like, this is obviously very uh, positive uh, for Formula One, kind of what we're saying. What they've been able to build with Drive to Survive, obviously we'll, that we'll just see that grow again, a new wave of fans come into the sport this year with a new season of it. And maybe we need to be a little bit more, a little bit more, um, engage with drive to survive maybe do a few more reviews of the episodes that might be a thing um it might be a thing but something that did happen a couple of weeks ago that probably needs to be discussed so we spoke uh at the i didn't you guys spoke about the news of audi audi joining formula one pardon audi audi the four circles joining formula one great for the sport buying a current infrastructure, giving it a bit of a polish, some would say. A couple of weeks ago, we had the news that Andretti had put a second bid together for Formula One. The first bid fell through. Formula One said, go bring some OEMs and then we might take you a little bit more seriously. Um, and I am- Pretty quickly, uh, Michael Andretti went and got Cadillac, a huge- American uh, automobile, huge company but under the GM umbrella, um, went back to Formula One. And again, there seemed to be quite a lot of interest in media world from the casual Formula One fan. But within two days, the rhetoric coming out of Formula One was um, not very positive. So while they are trying to cultivate this American audience, while they are trying to build the sport, at the same time, there are things that they're doing that are very much counterproductive to that goal. And what did you guys make of the whole uh, Andretti situation? I have, I have, I have a massive bone to pick about this whole situation. Um, just from how big a bone? Explain it to us. It's like you know the big the, the, like the T bones. It's like a T bone. A tea you know, you can't eat the steak without hitting that bone. You know, it's it's it's, it's going to get you. It's annoying. Right? Yeah. So, my biggest gripe is we have seen Formula One bend over backwards to encapsulate the American market, right? 
which is fair enough because it's a massive market. And we've seen now three tracks, uh, three races there next year. We have one team. We still haven't have, we, we now have one American driver. And in, in like while all this momentum is gathering. Um, sorry, who's the American driver? Uh, now they got Logan Sargent. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Logan. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you've got, a, you've got a team, you've got a driver, you've got your three, you've got your three races, one of them in Miami, one of them in Texas, one of them in Las Vegas, you know, three total, totally different areas. Um, you could call them like different biomes of America, like totally different people in each of them. We, we, we get sort of all these ducks in a row. Griffer. And now, and now. Haproots and biomes, man. We have, but shut up, you idiot. Now we have the biggest motorsport name probably internationally from america the andretti name is literally his roots are spread so far across the motorsport landscape we you then have one of the one of, one of the one of the bigger oems out of america you know uh cadillac but more more importantly general motors putting money behind like money into this effort um so, you know, you get an American team, American manufacturer on the grid. And we have sort of this war of words between um, mainly Toto Wolf, but sort of all the team team principals putting their two cents in like, oh, we're going to lose our market share. We're going to like, you're going into America. You're, the market share should be going up if you can, you know, utilize the American market properly. And, and we're not going to use this resource. I, I, I hate, I hate to be negative. Like you said, you don't want to be negative, but I, if you look at half the F1 grid, I think Andretti is a bigger name than all of them. It's bigger than Williams. Now it's bigger than Haas. It could be debatably bigger than McLaren. And with all the new sort of um, projects that they've undertaken, like we've seen Andretti isn't aligned with, um, we're going to talk about later, the, uh, and Acura of Acura Honda, um, sports car. He's got his roots in various supercars. He has his Formula E team. He's got an Indy car team. Um, I think I'm missing one still. And and now he wants to get into Formula One. This is a I think I'm such a massive like an easy slam dunk for the sport. It's time for the the, the guy in charge. I can't remember his name. Is it Salbin or something? To you know put his foot Salim. down. Yeah, put his foot down. And let this, you know, let this He's happen. FIA, actually. It's really yeah, so every, scary. It's, it's, it's the Liberty uh, Media Group. Chase is gone. It's Stefano Domenicali. But how much sway does the FIA have? Because he clearly wants Andretti. Well, I think well, I, was reading, is- I was reading this week that Formula One or Liberty, well, firstly, Formula One falls under the FIA. Um, it's like FIFA. Yeah, Formula One falls under the FIA umbrella because it's a it's a world championship and it's a um, like internationally registered competition, so it falls under the FIA. However, the FIA sold the rights of Formula One to Bernie Eccleston in the nineties. So even though it comes under the jurisdiction of the FIA, Liberty, who obviously bought it off Bernie Eccleston, have the uh, they have the control. They have the power to make those decisions. So the FIA can't really sway those decisions. And Liberty was upset because of the comments that Mohammed bin Salman made this week where he said that 
Formula One, regardless of what people think, isn't in as strong a position as people are valuing it. And Formula One said, well, you might have just devalued our product based on the comments that you've made. So like, even though the FIA has con- has oversees Formula One, it is very much owned by Liberty. Um, they did the value it at $20 is, billion. Dollars. You know, there's probably something like, well, how much was the was the um, Saudis going to buy it for? Wasn't it 400 million or 400? Was it that much? 14 billion. For some ridiculous amount of money. Formula One um, have valued themselves at $20 billion. There you go. There you go. Um, Which is insane. Yes. Probably not as insane, it's probably not as insane as you think if like Manchester United are valued at fifty billion five billion dollars. So that's one team. Mm. Like, yeah, it's a massive team, but that this is a whole sport. And well, this, this is, is this, this is, is also like now it's a franchise mode. This is also the, the contracts of ten teams you're carrying with it and the contracts is, of twenty-four races. This is the thing that interests me, right? Because every industry Every sport, every particularly motorsports, ebbs and flows, right? And it's very easy for us to forget the troughs when we're having peaks. It wasn't so long ago that Formula One needed to fill its grid with three very much underperforming teams, six very underperforming cars to fill a 20-car grid. Now, that is definitely not the case with Formula One right now, but you never know as, you know, just look at the world and what's happened with the economy, what's happened just from COVID. No one knew that was going to happen. So if Formula One is is in a position to get a new team on board, to get a new OEM on board, right, to help provide a little bit more variety so that if a team was to leave, you've still got a nice amount of, you know, uh, investment Christian. activation within, you know, a multitude of OEMs, they should be taking it. And maybe this is a good segue into the sports car world as well. Let's say Cadillac try to get into Formula One, they don't, right? Because Formula One doesn't doesn't to seem to see the perceived value in it. All of a sudden, whether Formula One wants to, uh, you know, consider it a competitor or not, The WEC has a formula of its own that is exceedingly attractive to more and more manufacturers because it has a real cost cap through the um, controls that it's put in place to uh, help develop cars as effectively, as easily as possible. And if you see a team like Cadillac that wants to be in Formula One, get more involved in WEC, like it already is, expand its operations. And then you see a company like Ford who wants to go race GM, follow them into that particular sport as opposed to the rumours that it could go into Formula One because we know that the Ford GM competition is always strong. Well, then you've just lost two manufacturers. So I think Formula One needs to be a little bit more forward thinking in that regard that you never know when the next trough is going to take place. And quite frankly, the real thing that needs to happen is these team principals who have huge amounts of share and ownership stakes in the companies that they're owning, they're the ones that are actually calling the shots because of the the 
the vote that they've got in in the decision making of Formula One. Now, Formula One did that to make it more accessible to more teams, but at the same time, there needs to be a strong figurehead that they lost when they lost Bernie Eccleston. That's going to say, well, Formula One is going to be, you know, Formula One brings the manufacturer to the sport. It's not the other way around. Um, Formula One is the only motorsport I can think of in, internationally. Out of all motorsports, I, I'm, think, I'm trying to think hard now that I think its grid hasn't grown in the last five years. And every other every other motorsport I can think of has either... Well, supercars, but and it's for exactly the same reason, but on a much smaller scale. Well, even if the grids haven't grown due to, due to the rec sizes, there are more teams involved. So the teams have shrunk in size, which has allowed more teams to come in. But Formula One is like, there's that, there's that you know, adage. If there's no, like, there's no, like, mediocre, if you're not growing, you're, you're, dying. You're, um, you're dying. So there's no maintaining. And Formula One has been growing in terms of the amount of places it's visiting, the amount of money it's bringing in due to the races. But realistically, you can have 30 races lined up, but if one team pulls out, you then have a really substandard-looking 18-car grid. I... I I don't understand, like, that there. I don't know if it's a, a perception that, yeah, 20 car grid is the perfect size grid because the 20 car grid was a small grid until, you know, the last, what, maybe eight years or something. We, 24 cars was a normal, was a normal grid for a long time. Do you um, think, do you think the last financial crisis has, deterred formula one into allowing more oems in but wouldn't wouldn't you want if, if wouldn't you want more oems after a financial crisis well, well if, think, you, if you if you think, think of last about, time yeah well they lost a lot of they lost a lot of them last time but yeah. the, the ones that they're now adding are not like mercedes we were going to add porsche we're gonna we're, we're adding audi we've got ferrari ferrari won't leave because of the pride aspect but like Realistically, another financial crisis, that's a lot of money for any – and these are all boutique manufacturers. General Motors is a, is a, is a, is a company that sells the most bare-bones – like the, the cars that you sell every day. Like They're like, a, like the Toyota of America. Why would, why would you not want a, a company – like, yeah, they're, they're branding as Cadillac, their ex- exotic car, but this is mm. a brand that owns a lot of different, you know – uh, lower market cars, which sell a lot more cars than your boutique cars do. I, I, I fail to understand the logic of it. Yeah, Cadillac is a great name. It's probably not as exotic as Audi. It isn't. Andretti is, is a great is a great name. But you're bring you're not just bringing in you're bringing Andretti and Cadillac, a great name, like in racing. And GM, which is has never been in Formula One. If you can't if you can't market this slam dunk. You've got to be like the most useless marketing team on planet Earth. Do you know, since the financial crisis, the only OEM that Formula One has brought in is and Mercedes. they left because of the financial crisis was, Honda. well, they brought in Mercedes and they brought in Honda. And Honda came and left since that crisis. Well, Mercedes is the old Honda team. So if you look at, if you look at, the most closely related industry would be Formula uh, MotoGP. They have brought three OEMs in: Suzuki, KTM, and Aprilia. 
and one of them has left. And they are still in a position where there is a much greater share of engines and development. And if you look at Formula 1 now, you've got Renault who are literally running their own engine and you've got Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull powertrains that are facilitating the other 18 cars. Um, But it's not even that. Like we saw this year, a a team dropped off the grid in MotoGP. No one batted an eyelid. There's so many bikes, there's so many competitive bikes. You could lose, you could could run, like you don't want to, but realistically you could run a field of Ducatis in MotoGP and the product would still be awesome. Like Formula One's product, I think, is good. It's not that good to keep like to lose OEMs, but also uh, Suzuki left. We uh, we already know now there's going to be another Yamaha team in there next year to fill up those numbers straight away. Um, and realistically, no one's really sort of stopped thinking, oh, like what's going to happen? But if the same thing happened to Formula One, it would it would it would go into sort of low level. It would lose prices. a lot of that value that it's got. Or would it? I think I think it would. I haven't. I've never heard anyone say that twenty cars is the perfect grid size in Formula One. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, "Oh, you know, this is like this is the sweet spot." The only reason it's the sweet that, spot is because do teams don't want to share the don't want to share the the profits. Do you think I'll, I'll throw this to you, Harry, to enter this? But do you think that part of the like you look at IndyCar, you can have a thirty-six car grid, right? And like we look at them and say, this is phenomenal. It's great racing. It's engaging like all the way around the lap. But, you know, this this whole notion of Formula One and its prestige and its elusiveness and its um, kind of uh, the mystique that surrounds it, is there some level maybe in the teams and Formula One itself that doesn't want to allow more teams in? Because, yes, you get a bigger grid, which is awesome for us, we think, and awesome, we think, for the sport. But then does it detract from the elusiveness of it? If you've got another team that wants to come in, we say yes, and you've got another team that might finds it more valuable, then they they want to try and make a bid as well. So is, it, is, is part of it, and I don't think it's right, but it's part of the thinking maybe that they've got to maintain some level of it's difficult to get into this field. I, I see your point. I'm not saying I agree with it, but yeah, I'm just yeah. trying to val- I'm just trying to justify their decision. I, I see your point, and I understand the whole mystique they want to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, I genuinely think it's all about the bottom line for these guys. Someone, there, someone like no Toto, excuse. someone like Toto just wants, you know, they, they got their team's best interest at heart, right? And uh, they don't care about the sport. At the end of the day, they just want their team to be on top, getting as much money as possible, keep developing the car, keep winning. But that's why they shouldn't have any sway yeah, in the decision making of I the agree. growth of the sport. I agree. Yeah, but he's 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 an exact um, sort of an exact correlation of how it's it's totally polar opposite. The F one teams for the last three years have been saying the calendar is too big, and F one does not give a fuck because we are going to as many races as we can to pump as much money as we can, all right? At the same time now, they're going to listen to the teams in terms of we don't want another car on the grid. 
I mean, you can't pick and choose when you want to listen to the teams. The teams should never have a say. Arsenal doesn't go to the Premier League and say, we don't want to play this game on Sunday. Can we push it back to Tuesday? It's like, no, you're playing on Sunday. You know, th- th- these are the time slots. I don't understand. Like, you, you can't hide behind the shield that you're, you know, that you're batting away at one stage. You're like, oh, no, got to discuss it with the teams. It's a franchise mode at the same time. Oh, um, we're going to go to more races. We've seen in other sports, in other franchise modes, like look at NFL, you have the the, the, the drivers or the, the teams, I suppose, have have um, pushed down pre-season games. They've um, negotiated a better wage in the adding of a um, extra playoff round. Like there's, there's, there's a sort of give and take with the sport, but in Formula One, it's just, there's, there's no give and take. It's just we'll use what's the best excuse possible for any, you know, so for any given reason. But at the end of the day, it's like if you look at it for like one second, it's like, okay, money is the driver of this and money is the driver of that. You know, we're going to promote um, COVID rules because we're going to be able to race, make money. We're going to uh, say no to cutting down the um, season because we're going to make more money. We're not going to add another team because the teams will make more money. Can I throw one more question to finish this Formula One segment then? I sound so cynical, eh? No, but let me just, let me just finish on this, and I want to get both your opinion on this. Obviously, every venture is in it to make money, right? If it's not sustainable, it's not worth doing it. If it's not sustainable, then good luck growing whatever it is that you're trying to develop. So having a, a profitable outlook is by no means a problem, right? But when we look at Formula One, and the decisions that it's made recently, they can say that they're trying to be more sustainable with the expenditure cuts for teams. And yet at the same time, all the new places they're going to are literally all about money, whether it's Miami, whether it's Saudi Arabia, there's talk of adding another race next year in Kuwait because they've just built an F1 grade track there. You know, I don't know about anything else in Kuwait apart from petrol money as well. So it's pretty obvious if they were to go to such a place, number one, you'd have a quarter of the season in the Gulf. Uh, And number two, like I don't think there's any other reason why they'd be going there except for the making of money. Is Formula One in a position where it might lose itself and its identity and its heritage in the pursuit of money. Because one thing, you can say whatever you want about Bernie Eccleston. He made decisions to make money. He went to some interesting places, China, India, et cetera, to grow. Well, he's, he's, I guess his thing was to make money, but also to grow the sport in places where it hadn't been grown before. I'll give him credit for that. But never did it feel like he was selling the DNA of the sport purely for the buck. You never and I can't say the, the same thing about the current owners. What say you both to that? Go, H. Uh, there's only one reason to go to the Middle East for six races, and, and it's for money. I, it's it's, it's not for the spectacle. It's that There's no one in the crowd. They always pan to the same five people that are cheering along in, in, in the crowd. The tracks, for me, for the most part, there's, there's a couple no women of women around there either. There's a, yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of good tracks. But for the most part, I don't look forward to those races. Firstly, there are shit times for us. Secondly, the tracks aren't that crash hot. Like Bahrain's all right. I don't mind Bahrain. 
Um, Abu Dhabi's okay, but Jeddah's horrible. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think, is it going to get to a point where these owners take it too far? And it kind of loses. It's it, it, To me, it feels like they're trying to have the best of both worlds by having a 24-25 race calendar. They get the European leg, which is all the tracks that we love, like Spa. Um, even ones like Zandvoort have been pretty pretty good add to the calendar recently. Yeah, they can get rid of Zandvoort. The, the atmosphere is pretty amazing. The atmosphere sells it. If you've got people there that are loving it, yeah, that's right. then you can't get rid of it because it's for the like, fans at the track – is all right, Sparrow awesome. is Xanthor. What are we getting rid of? Yeah, but what I'm saying is they keep adding tracks and, and races because they don't they understand the, the the value of those tracks that we love, but then they just want their money on top with all these other ones. And the the way that they've laid out the calendar this year, I don't know if you two have seen it. They're all about the sustainability, but they're bouncing Mate, there is all over the world. Sustainable about how they are making it sustainable. Like the flight of this, the flight of the circus. Like they could very easily go continent. They could very easily continent hop and make the movement of the schedule as sustainable as there is. They are not doing that. It's they've for money. A time slot for America at the start of the year, mid year, end of year, and they've done a similar thing to um, the similar thing to the Middle East. The only sections of it that make sense were the older sections where you had an Asian season and a European season. Mm. Yeah, Apart from me, that. I think me and Harry discussed it last time. The only reason you do that is because you need to give your fan base in those places a cool down time to get excited again. Yeah, but Joey, they don't need to because the people in Texas will buy tickets in Texas and the people in um, Florida and surrounding states will buy them in Florida, and the people in Vegas and California will buy them there. Like, yeah, but you're not going to have I'm someone. Saying, yeah, but most people, you, if they can, you would be naive to, to think you'd be naive to think that the, everyone who goes to the Texas Grand Prix is from Texas. It's just like no, everyone who goes to that, Melbourne but isn't you're from also, Melbourne. The people, like you'd also could assume that the people that can afford to go to multiple Grand Prix in a season could do it any time of the year. Yeah, but. You would assume that you would then be assuming that everyone has the financial capabilities to go to multiple Grand Prix in a season. I'm saying those like who, if you, those if you who want, could, if you want to probably fill up, could do it whenever. If you want to fill up four four hundred thousand people at every race, I don't think they're all going to back to back three weekends in a if row. You, I would make the argument that Formula One could race in three different venues in America. The, let's say the three they've got. Over three weekends, but why risk and it? And it would be chock a block every week. And they could also make a spin on it and say this is like an America's Cup, and you give a special trophy for the person who gets the tally over the next three races. Do you want to make it more so. engaging? Do you want to get more American people involved? <laughs> give them a small trophy. Guess what else they could do? Getting the Guess most what? points in America. Guess what else they could do? They could let Andretti Cadillac race. <laughs> they could. They could. I think I, I, our positivity I'm, lasted half an episode. No, it's it's my, valid though. I my, think it's my, valid. My, my, my main gripe is all right, so these teams want as much cut of the pie as they can get, right? Fair enough. These teams are able to get half a billion dollars worth of funding every year, which has now been cut down. So you're telling me that if this half a billion dollars worth of funding has been cut down, where are they going to spend this extra money? They've got they they can reach into the, those those back coffers and most probably get that money back. Why do we need? Why do they care about 
the split of the pie from the from from the from the um championship. Mm-hmm. Unless you're point. like Will, Williams or maybe Haas or one of the smaller teams, I don't understand the the bigger teams. All it can only come down to either ego, not wanting the challenge, like being comfortable, and greed. Anyway, we love the sport. We haven't had a chance to discuss the team principal changes that have happened in the off-season. What do you boys think about the appointment at Ferrari? I I, think, well, yep. I think Ferrari made a very good decision. I think if you look at Fred Vasseur when he was at ART, they were... I guess they still are, but they were Primer when 10 years ago. Now Primer's winning. If you want to win a F2 championship, you go to Primer. Mm-hmm. 15 years ago, you went, you went with ART. So he had an extremely successful stint at ART. If you also look at where Sauber were before his uh, entry there, they were in a pretty dire predicament. So for him to... Turn that team around. Obviously, they they have never achieved the level of um, relative success that some would maybe suggest. But the money that they were getting from Alfa Romeo, you know, still was very small in comparison to what you know other teams are able to spend. Like they 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 kind of had a big name sponsor, but it was kind of in name. Mostly, mm. um, and I think they've been relatively successful. The problem with Sauber is they are always going to be like their success, very much like Williams and Williams had Mercedes. When the Mercedes engine was good, Williams was okay. Oh, actually, Williams were horrible as well. <laughs> but we saw, you know, Sauber somewhat competitive when the Ferrari engine was OP'd. Um, but then when they had the issues with the oil burn, that kind of screwed them for two years as well. And they weren't in the position to develop the engine or to extract the most of it because they were just a customer. So I, I think, he, I think he's going to be really good for Ferrari. I think he's, uh, you know, an old wise head and that's probably what they need. They probably just need someone who is like, we talk about Ferrari in recent years, having this uh, like they make the wrong decisions all the time. You've got a calm head. You've got an experienced head who's been there, who's done that. I think what you're going to get from him is extremely decisive and safe decision-making, which is what Ferrari need. I would have thought that's exactly what Bonotto was. Well, I think the proof I is think, putting in I wasn't. think realistically it's, it's uh, let's appease Charles Leclerc because he had a good relationship with him at Sauber. And we want to keep him happy at Ferrari before he walks, before he jumps ship. That's just me being cynical. Matteo Bonotto, like Matteo Bonotto, say what you will, was a head engineer who became the principal, whereas now they've got a person who's been a team principal for something like 30 years, who's own, like he is a decision maker. Whereas Bonotto went from being a designer, very successful one at that, to managing all aspects of the team. I don't know. I, I, I'm with with that pick in particular. I want to reserve judgment. Reserve judgment. I've I've no dog in the fight, but I just for me when I heard it, I was just like, 
seems seems logical, makes right. sense. Well, but- let's go from there then to Seidel at our Audi, Audi. Sauber Audi H. What do you think? Uh, well, apparently that he asked Zach Brown to leave earlier in the year. Um, so obviously Audi's had it, had their eye on him because you know he's got ties to the Volkswagen Group from his Porsche days. Um, I think he'll set up a a pretty phenomenal organisation. They it's interesting they announced that they're not actually putting in a team principal this year. It's like a, a some sort of manager that's going to going to do it at Sauber. Um, isn't, isn't Seidel there this year? No, he's the CEO no. of Sauber. Ah, oh, I think he'll be de facto team principal though. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic works. But what kind of impact do you think it's going to have on McLaren? Well, I'll, this is before we even talk about the the like. Obviously, Andreas Stella is now the team principal at McLaren. Another engineer. I think the more telling situation is if. If Seidel thought that McLaren still had higher that they could go based on their system, based on their operation, and he thought it was more like he had a better chance of doing it with McLaren than Audi, I don't think he would have left. So Why, for me, just offered him more money. No, because I think he could have gone back to Zach Brown and said, "Listen, this is what they've offered me." this is a thing I see in McLaren match me. And I'm pretty sure Brown would have matched him. What I think is that he sees more potential in the new venture, which isn't, doesn't fill me with confidence based on the McLaren trajectory of last year. Let me say that. I'll say this. I don't think Seidel has proved much at McLaren. And I was gassed up on him when he came to McLaren. I think you were too. And realistically, we didn't see much. Um, I would, 21 was pretty I would awesome. counter that yeah, and okay. say... So, so, so we, we develop one decent car and then after that, the wheels hey, fall off. Like, are you, he, are you forgetting never, the trajectory never, of McCran over the last two and a half years since yep, he's been but, there? It has I'm, been... I'm, I'm remembering this Even year. we're calling last year he never, he, a the failure. Team, the team, it was a failure. It was, it was a massive underachievement. I, I disagree uh, and, and that was a massive uh, you underachievement. Might, you might be looking with rose-tinted glasses, but as a team, no team ever said so much and delivered so little in my memory. Like They, yeah, are, they, they are being they very have, quiet this off-season. This which is year good. They, are being, they are being very quiet, which there's only one way to be after the year that they just well, had. Sorry, just to, just, to, just to rebuttal once more. We are talking about this being a... Um, well, this is, oh, sorry, I'll get to this in a second. We are talking about it being a failure of a season. And yet if, and I don't want to bring it back to this, but do you think if they had two drivers performing at Lando's ability last year, it would be the failure that we are calling it now? If I, I, I'm just going to say it like this. McLaren have been discussing winning championships that has been the discussion around the team that has been so aim every the team, team for in about every five, sport no, in every no, williams williams don't around the world the, the goal is always to win. our goal is to win the championship tour rosso don't do that Haas don't they don't do have that. ambitions for that okay regardless. but they should yeah okay 
They don't have ambitions for that. McLaren have ambitions to make a dent in the championship. And yes, maybe in 2022, they made a small hailstone dent in that championship aspirations. But since, like realistically, for what they had been aiming to do, like publicly, they have have they have not matched that. And okay, you, you, you know talk about Red if Danny Rick, for if nine Danny Rick, years that their goal was to win the championship and they lost to Mercedes for nine years. They were still yeah. winning races, though. They were, they still, were still McLaren won races, one race. Okay, dude, there was no goal. There is, there is, yeah, there is a goal to win races, but there is also, and like you have to be realistic. If 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 it was either McLaren speaking sort of hyper hyperbolically, or maybe this is what we we would like to achieve one day, that's fair enough. But the way they were speaking about it was we are, we are bringing in Seidel, we are, we are signing Lander to a long contract, we are bringing in Danny Rick, proven race winner, yet yeah, didn't work for Danny Rick. It somewhat worked for Lando, still hasn't won a race. I would say at the same thing, Seidel has proved, he's proved that he can make a competitive car in terms of we can be the best of the rest in terms of teams who aren't going for the championship. But other than that, I think I'm not going to call it a failure, but I'm just going to call it lukewarm. All right, so I'm moving he's, on. He's, he's proved nothing. My thing is they've they've promoted from within, from one of the engineers or head of whatever department he was that designed and built this current car, which is not that competitive performance-wise. That's concerning for me that they didn't. If if Seidel told Zach Brown earlier in the year that he's leaving or that he wants to leave in a year or so, and the opportunity came up now, Zach Brown should have had a succession plan in place, ready to go. Don't you think? I think maybe Stella was the succession plan. I just don't. I don't Enough don't about McLaren. You, what about know, what about? I don't know how you fix it up. From I think I think you're naturally the same very mistakes. negative towards McLaren. I'm not. I don't want to go I'm into this argument anymore. But what about Capito left Williams and they brought in what's his name? Was it James Vows? Yes, from Mercedes. Yeah, um, Valtteri. It's James. That guy. That one. What do you think? Me. Yeah. I think we're fucked. Really? <laughs> yeah. At the very least, he's been exposed I don't know, I, to the winning way. Like, I, yeah, but I don't know. Like, realistically, you want enough time to implement the changes to then influence your season. I don't see how they've they have enough time to really implement the changes that they need. I mean, I think, like for me with Williams, signing Logan Sargent was a safe bet but it wasn't an aspirational bet at all. Like it's just going to be another learning year for another driver. I think so it was got, a, I think it was a safe bet. Like who, who do they get? Limited, I, I think like it shows limited expectations. I think it shows limited ambition. Yeah. Like Williams as a team, Williams as a team is supposed to have now this abundance of funding that now the American investors don't want to spend because the team has been shit. Fair enough. But they have not spent enough money to even give it a good crack. Like, okay, you're Williams. Let's 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 just let's just spitball here. You wanna you wanna make changes? 
by the time last season ended, you have a new proven head ready to go off the bat. I don't know who it is. It's not my job. You have Daniel Ricciardo making more money than he is at McLaren. Come in and let's push Albon. Let's get you some good team leaders. Bring Danny Rick's friend, the um, the physio man, make everyone happy, and let's at least give this one good swing, you know, spend a lot of money and try and make a quick change. You know what? Let's come third last this year. Let's make a little jump. Instead, just, we signed- Let's just swing. Let's just have the swing. That's the thing. Yeah. Have a swing. Can I just say this, Joe? For the same, like McLaren, you can say, talk the big game. They had a swing. Yeah, they, they, I'm, not they, they missed. I'm, not, I'm not saying they, they missed. Didn't. They struck out, perhaps. Yeah, but they yeah, had a swing. Yeah, but the difference is when 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 you ask me what I think of Williams, I say how it is. I know that we're shit. I know that I we've say, got an I, I think I'm I a pretty objective, pretty no, objective to McLaren. Yeah, you're, you're not. All I'm saying is they have made no swings. They have made no changes to the system. They're playing it very safe. By we, we've we've signed someone from Mercedes before. We signed the head of Mercedes after winning world championships, Paddy Lowe. Oh, low, sorry. Yeah. And that lasted half a year. How did that Not work even. out? Too much power, but he had too much control over the whole operation. He thought he, thought he, I think what Paddy, like this is getting off topic, but Paddy Lowe was the, like, he was the, the star person of the who rock. thought he was the guy, but he forgot that it was a team effort. And he thought he had more input into the team's success than he probably did. Because it was a well-oiled machine. I, you know what? Or he I want? could come in and you do know, it himself. I, I want, if anyone takes anything from this podcast, I want them to take this. Claire, uh, it wasn't just uh, Claire Williams isn't the only person who fucked up Williams. Men have done it since then as well. So it's not a sexist thing. This we they, as a team, they have never had a sort of front front foot plan about how they're going to get out of the hole they're in. Everything's always reactionary. I will let this driver go and then we'll bring in someone else. We'll take the money from this driver, but we never have a driver lined up. So when you get rid of the Latifi, who's sort of, we're taking their money. And now that we've got the money, we're going to keep them there for an extra year. The driver market goes stale. We never have someone on a new contract at that time. And now we've got, you know, I've got nothing. You know what, Joe, I, I I would argue even that before Claire Williams, that was the Williams model from Rob Smedley from like as far back as when they had their Japanese drivers because they always had a driver that was bringing in big coin so they could go racing and then they would have the prospect or the the driver that they wanted to race. But that was Nakajima. That was... um, You look at at our young drivers. uh, What's what's the other Japanese name? Uh, Yeah, Nakajima and we... It was Maldonado. Kobayashi was never with us. It was um, Stroll. It was Latifi. It's been, it's, it's Sergeant now. That has been their model you, for the you, part of twenty years. If you look at the young drivers that Williams have brought in, you look at Stroll. He's got podiums at Williams. You look at Rosberg. End up becoming a world champion. I know you don't like Stroll, Harry, but he does have podiums at Williams. You look at yeah. Maldonado. Was it one? Race two. You have Maldonado. Race win for Williams. Until. Um, Latifi, no one was that was consistently that bad and showed that little for that long and still never lost their yeah, job. Yeah, but the, the last you know time, it was a- the last time that Williams had a driver lineup that was purely based on what like potential as opposed to someone even, bringing in money, even was the, even Mark you know Webber and Nick Heidfeld. 
No, Rosberg was a was a was a good driver when he was there. But the thing is as well, like this goes back to when they signed Massa. They had a great car and they signed Ferrari like Ferrari's used by a driver. And the thing is, they had a great car because that Mercedes engine was the best engine and they were the second best chassis and the engine accommodated for all the problems. Was VB Massa's yeah, teammate had, back then? Yeah, they had, they had Valtteri and they had... No. And they had... um No, Massa... Valtteri Massa. was gone by then, wasn't he? No, he wasn't, man. He was there. It was VB and Massa. This is my team. I know it. So what happens was they build a, a false sense of security. And ever since then, they've been one step behind the eight ball. And... I wish this guy all the best and good luck. I just don't see him having the time or the tools if what these guys are saying is true to turn it around. But who do you say driver-wise? DR was quite clear in saying he didn't want to go to the back of the grid. Yeah. Rule him rule him out. Who else do you go for? Objectively? If, if, it, if it was my job. Mike Schumacher before you go to Logan Not Sargent. Even. I wouldn't even. I would have... I would have chased one of those young guys from IndyCar, one of those yeah, winners. Cool. Yeah. Why not? Like Fair if, point. You're gonna, if, you, if you're going to bring an American as in Logan Sargent, why not go for the, the top G American at the moment who, who um, at least everybody is getting excited about. Fair you're point. Take, we've got Logan Sargent, an unproven winner to this date. I think he's won one F2 race or you have an IndyCar winner has been involved in a championship fight, two times Daytona 24-hour winner in Colton Herder, and for some reason he's not good enough to get a seat. Just just, just swing. Just make a swing for something that, you know what, if it hits, it hits, but if it doesn't, at least, you know, you, your driver isn't seven seconds behind everyone else and only has two mem- memorable performances in a wet qualifying and a wet practice. So that's I all he has. And decided the 2021 championship. Mm. Yeah, sorry, mm. I forgot that. I forgot we had we had George Russell. That was a good bit of business, and the poor guy was in the team at the wrong time. Yeah, <laughs> but even even uh, like even but even that that Russell, wasn't that was that was more fortuitous based on their alliances as opposed to them seeing talent. Like obviously was, they saw I think, talent in him. I think I think Mercedes equally in, wanted him in a car. I think them bringing Albon as well showed the same kind of um, foresight into bringing a bit of, um, you know, talent in as well. I think just two, two, two cases out of 10 problems we've just mentioned is not, is not enough to get you off the bottom of the grid. So I think if there's one common thread throughout this whole podcast, when we think about uh, the desire for, and ready to come into the sport and Formula One sitting on its heels. When you think about, obviously, these teams. I want to jump ship. That's why. I want Pardon? to jump ship. I want Who? to jump ship. Me. Well, I think we've got to talk sports cars next week now when we've got the Bathurst 12 hour as well. Yeah. You want to give them a 90-minute podcast. 60 minutes is <laughs> nice. 90 minutes is too long. So I reckon and- we save Daytona for next week. We'll do a Daytona and Bathurst one. I think so because we ranted way too long. So I think I think it's because we love it, boys. That's yeah, why the common thread of this podcast, the tap root, if you had to call it that, <laughs> has to be have a swing. Positive vibes. Formula One, have a swing. Whether it's a new team coming in, trust that it's going to be good for the sport. Trust that it's going to build the exposure. That it's going to build the revenue. That it's going to build trust in 
what you've got. If it's these teams that are racing, talk your big game. Hopefully you can back it up because from what the boys have said, McLaren hasn't backed it up and McLaren didn't deserve to back it up last year purely based on the liveries that they presented. But to finish off, have a swing. <laughs> Harry, Joe, it's bloody good to be back on the pod with you both talking Formula One, talking the sport that we love. Um, and Tristan's back next week, so we'll have even more opinions. Tristan will be back next week, yep. So good to have him back again. It's been about four months for him as well. Um, so I think we'll leave it there, boys. Happy days. As I would normally finish, sorry, that was a little bit of a delay. <laughs> I forgot what I, I'm a little bit out of practice still, but please like, subscribe, share, follow. Just keep spreading the word. We really appreciate it here at the Racing Line podcast. Um, and also, we forgot to say it, but if you are watching the Bathurst 12 hours next week, please keep an eye out for that Calypso coloured. Valmont Racing Mercedes on the mountain and if you are lucky enough to see it in pit lane look above the front tyres and you will see our Racing Line podcast logo behind the front tyres behind the front tyres then which is pretty exciting so thanks so much have a great night and we'll have some more content for you next week cheers boys thanks mate